0: Welcome to the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive, where we talk with customer-obsessed people to uncover how you can be more customer-focused. I'm your host, Dan Kalmar. Today I'm joined by Casey Trujillo, VP of Sales Excellence at Brainstorm Inc. Casey applies over 20 years of technology experience to help organizations and individual users change the way they work with technology. In his work with the Fortune 100, Casey is consistently on the road delivering workshops each year to help executive teams see that technology can help speed up their biggest initiatives. As a change management practitioner, Casey brings a unique approach to solve a problem hitting every organization, the cost of unused software. When he has downtime, you can see him trying to achieve his goal to dunk a basketball, run a five-minute mile, and prove to his sons that his glory days are ahead of him and not behind him. In this episode, Casey talks about what happens when a SaaS relationship goes south. Suddenly, your customer becomes the enemy. But Casey believes just like in real life relationships, this isn't healthy. In this episode, Casey breaks down how to set up SaaS relationships for success in the first place, and what to do when they break down. Casey, welcome to the All About the Customer podcast. So amazing to have you here today. Dan, it's good to
1: be here. Thank you for the invite.
0: So before we get too deep into our topic today, I, I think it would actually be really helpful for the folks listening to, to learn a little bit about you and the work that you do, because I think that's going to set things up uh, perfectly. When, when, when you were telling me what you do, I was like, he's almost like a, a couples therapist for SaaS companies. I, I don't know if that's an oversimplification or, or completely misguided, but m- maybe you set this up better. What, tell, tell us a no, little bit.
1: I think that's solid. Yeah, I like to refer to myself as a SaaS therapist. So what we mean by that, or what I mean by that is I've been in the space in organizational change management for some time, and I focus specifically on SaaS vendors who are working with their direct customers, and they want their customer to realize the value of what they purchase. So I I love to use this analogy. Dan, I hope this is okay. So let's pretend that uh, there is two individuals that are about ready to get married. And they've been courting each other for some time. They've, they've had conversations, they've had phone calls, they've gone on dates and everything looks like this is going to be amazing. And one of the partners is going to go plan out a honeymoon. And so that person starts to explain, hey, we're going to go to Paris and this is going to be amazing. We're going to go, we're going to go to all these sites, we're going to see all of these wonderful things. And the other partner on the other end is like, oh my gosh, I've married the right person. This is going to be fantastic. I'm headed to Paris. And in their mind, they're like, I'm seeing the Eiffel Tower. I'm getting crepes, croissants. Like, I'm going to see all the great artwork. They sign the contract. They're officially married. They go on the honeymoon. And that individual ends up in Paris, Idaho. And all of a sudden they're like, wait, where, there's no Eiffel Tower in Parasite. And this is not to offend any of your people in Parasite, all your listeners in Parasite.
0: It's most of our listenership. So I think you're going to oh, get. It yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but one person thought that this is the destination when they're arriving. The other person thought it was another one. And so this often happens between a SaaS organization and their customer is, both of them are excited about the opportunity. Both of them are excited about the relationship, but where they e- end up at is sometimes two different areas. So the expertise I bring has been doing this for, for 20 plus years in seeing organizations trying to help their customers realize that value. So I like to always relate it to, to a marriage. And that's why I say I'm, basically I'm a SaaS therapist.
0: That analogy is interesting because when I think of the you know SaaS vendor buyer relationship, I think a lot of times we can get on the the wrong page for two reasons. I think one it's because we don't talk about it. Like when you talk about this relationship example, you need to make sure you're managing expectations for this trip. So that's one side of it. But the other side of it too, I think, unfortunately, is there's a lot of misleading going on. Right? Like you just mm-hmm. have a, a, a salesperson who's incentivized to just sell things no matter what, and it doesn't kind of matter the outcomes. Uh, so they sell things. So how much of the blame do you put on not having these valuable conversations ver- early on versus just, I don't know, maliciousness, let's say?
1: <laughs> well, I, I think in the experience that I've had in, in working with uh, small, medium, and enterprise uh, SaaS organizations, is usually it's miscommunication. So usually what's taking place is the account executive, he or she is explaining the value that's going to take place. They're walking through it. This direct customer is enamored with the problem that they're trying to fix and they start drawing their own conclusions. And the salesperson is so excited about getting that win that maybe they don't spend the extra steps to clarify it. Well, I'll clarify that once the deal signed. And then it gets handed off to the customer success person. They get on the phone with the customer and that's where either this marriage can go to, to, to Paris France or you can go to Paris, Idaho. That's where it really starts is in that first kickoff call between the customer and the person that's going to help realize that, that value from the SaaS organization. That's where it can take off or that's where signs of trouble start, start to occur.
0: The effect of this, one thing that you had mentioned to me is that often when we go down that path and things aren't going well on the SaaS vendor side of things, we tend to think of our customer as the enemy. Talk, talk to me about what you mean by that.
1: Yeah. So again, you have that honeymoon bliss. You have a certain amount of time where your customer is willing to accept that maybe they weren't completely clear on what they they needed to help in. Or, oh, I, I see how I could have missed that. Just as early as a, a relationship, you know what, Dan, you didn't, you didn't hang the towel up. And oh my gosh, are you going to hang the towel on the floor every time? At the start, I give you that. I'm like, ah, he'll learn. He'll, he'll pick that up. Or, you know, he didn't put his toothbrush away and put it in the drawer, right? I'm going to be okay with that for a little bit. But after time, those little things are going to add up, right? So that's when communication becomes so important. So when your customer raises a concern to you, that is a good thing. That is communication. The death, the where you know your marriage is in trouble or you know your SaaS relationship is in trouble is when the customer stops meeting with you, when they stop communicating with you. Challenges, arguments, that's okay. We're still in the game. But where it's going to start to venture off is when they don't feel you're being transparent back with them. When they feel that there's a misalignment and you're not fixing it. That's where we start to see the partner or the SaaS vendor as the enemy and the SaaS vendor needs to justify themselves. So they're telling their boss, well, gosh, this customer just isn't doing what, what my best practices. They're not doing the things I'm asking them to do. And again, that's why it's the perfect analogy of a marriage is all of a sudden people that had felt, fallen in love with each other start to see each other as maybe you're not who you said you were. And we start looking at the other person instead of looking at ourselves.
0: We so often take negative customer feedback as a bad thing. I mean, why wouldn't we? It's negative after all. But I love Casey's point here that negative customer feedback at least shows that a customer is invested in us. They care enough about us to share that information to make us better. We really need to reframe how we think of customer interactions this way.
1: The first thing you need to look at is opportunities and you need to be, you need to strip away your pride. You need to be able to ask questions. Back to the customer and not with intent to lead them anywhere, but with the intent to understand that's where we need to start out with is it sounds like you're frustrated. Well, yeah, I'm frustrated. Could could you walk me through that? Where are you frustrated at? And usually it's going to come down to one thing, what they feel the value they're supposed to receive, they are not seeing it. It's just just that simple. I'll give you one example. Man, this will be this will be a great one. I had one SaaS vendor. Their tool was designed to eliminate help desk calls. So they're rolling out a new software. Um, it's this is a pilot, and the goal was I'm going to help you not receive any phone calls. That's that's my goal. So as you roll out a new piece of software, your calls to the support desk they're going to be eliminated because of this platform. Okay. So that's, that's what their software does. So they get into a 90 day pilot. The SaaS vendor is super excited because the data is through the roof in how they've helped this customer. And so they get on the phone call. They say, Hey, we've had a great 90 day pilot. Are you ready to move into the contract? And the customer on the other end goes, I didn't see any value. All of a sudden the SaaS vendor's like, what, wait, like you, you look, look at all this data. And they said, yeah. Well, we didn't re- receive any support calls. Well, yeah, that's what we do. We, we help you from not receiving any support. Like the person couldn't believe they were having this conversation with the customer, right? And the customer goes, no, our rollout was so great. And we did everything right. No one called the support desk. It wasn't your software that helped. It was just, we did a great job of rolling out the software. So what they didn't define out is how in my platform, would we define success and measure the success? They didn't agree upon the success metric. And so the vendor thought they had won, but the customer was like, no, I won without you. And they didn't correlate the two because they didn't decide what the value was and how they would measure the value. It really is that simple.
0: And, and that's one thing I'd love you to dive deeper on. We, we talk about the, the vendor side of things of looking at the customer as the enemy and it's often uh, they just didn't know what they want. They're, they're idiots. They don't know how to use our software. What does what the customer side of things tend to look like when they're viewing it as, as the enemy? Is, is it that extreme example I talked about before where uh, some slick salesperson just sold me something and, and didn't think about it? Like what does that tend to look like from the customer side?
1: Yes, it's where the blame starts to shift. So when you hear your customers say, your software is not easy to use. Uh, People aren't getting into your application. I've heard a ton of complaints about feature sets that you don't have. When they start shifting blame, that's when you know that you're getting into enemy territory. So one of the things, Dan, that I want to walk through your audience through today is, okay, I get that, Casey. Yeah, I've gone through that. What you're saying it resonates with me. It might even be triggering some 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 flashbacks of past customers, and and you know they they might be curling up in a ball in the corner, right? So I want to give them some some tips to help them when they start to feel that they're their their customers falling out of love with them. I want to give you some tips today. So Dan, would that be okay for me to share some of that?
0: I would love that. What if I said no and we're just it This probably wouldn't be a very interesting podcast. We just ended up there. I I would love that, Casey. (laughs) That's fair. If you you dove into those.
1: (laughs) So let's go into it. So the first thing you need to do is when your customer starts to bring up the concern and you feel that you're going into enemy territory, you first need to recognize, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, it sounds like you're frustrated. It sounds like you're feeling you're not getting the value that you paid for. And let them talk. Let them explain that. And say, okay, what I'd like to do is set up a call because we we don't have enough time in this weekly sync to really dive into what you want to talk about. Is it okay in our next call if we dedicate our entire time to to this frustration that you're feeling? Is that okay? Yes. Is there anyone else you'd like to get involved in that call? Mm, No. Usually they're going to say, no, I want to handle it. Because that person that you're talking to is responsible for realizing the value of your software. So they don't want to bring in their boss yet because it's going to make them look back. Don't forget that the person on the other end is a human being that has a job and they're being measured on how well they're doing. Don't forget that you're talking to someone. That's why I say relationship is important. Like view it as a marriage. Like you're in this together because you actually are. So when you have the call, you set it up. You're like, great. Hey, if we could start, I'd like to go, just go back to the beginning. And I'd like to ask you this one question. And this is what I call the the, the magic wand question. And so here's the question, Dan. It says, if you had a magic wand and could guarantee 100% success, what would be the behavior change your users would be having with this software? Okay, basically I'm saying, why did we fall in love in the first place? Why did we feel like this was a good fit? And I'm asking the customer to revisit that emotion and I'm asking them to revisit that there's no chance for failure. Why did we do this in the first place? And when you put your customer in the frame of mind to go into the future, so if I was to say, Dan, if Magic Wand, if you had a guaranteed success, what would this podcast look like in five years? You start envisioning things. You start thinking that you have you know, tens of millions of followers, right? You're thinking that you're maybe with Ed Milet on his show and he's saying, Dan, how did you do all this, right? Like and you're, you're seeing yourself in this and it creates a, a feeling of like, I want to be there. And that's why you start with that question. Okay. And I want to focus on two parts of that question. Number one, 100% success, no chance of failure. That's important in asking that question. And two, what's the behavior change? What's the behavior? What do you want people to do differently? Those two things are the magic of that question. Okay. Dan, any follow-up off of, off of the question number one? Once I've asked that, is there any question on why I word it that way or, or why does that work? Any 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 follow-up on that?
0: I think why I really like that question is one, you talk about the people thinking forward to the future state of being really successful. But I also like the idea of, this being, you know, why, why did we start doing business together in the first place? Cause it kind of gets people back to that happy state too. So I think it's a really interesting question where it helps people look forward, but also helps people look back to be like, Hey, we, we both got into this willingly. Like we, we both wanted to move forward with this. Let's kind of try to rekindle that spark a little bit, if you will, not to, I feel like we're taking this analogy pretty far, but. <laughs> yes, us
1: There's a reason why politicians, when they're running for re-election, they're always talking about the future. What we're going to do differently in the future. You give me four more years, this is what I'm going to do differently. Because that's where happiness is. That's where, hey, I feel like, okay, this is finally going to get solved. So that's why we start out with that question. Question number two is, if that is how you want them to work, what are they doing today? Now, what is so important about question two is your tone. I'm not accusing you. I'm not, I'm not going after you and saying, Hey, see, you're the problem, right? I'm just saying, if that's what you want, how are people working today then? Now, where does that put someone that puts them in their current state that puts them in the frustration again. And the frustration is why they bought the frustration of like, I can't do this anymore. We can't keep doing this. I have to get you back in that spot. So you see the gap between future and current. That's why question two is so important, okay? And usually, like, for example, there was one SaaS vendor we were working with, they have a collaboration platform, whiteboarding. So you can do all sorts of, like, little virtual stickers and you can make cool comments. And and it's like you're in person, but you're not. And it's just a phenomenal software. And they were working with the customer that was, that was having this problem. People weren't utilizing the software. So they went back to future state. Oh, we're just in hybrid work environment. We have people all over the world. People don't feel connected. We're losing people because of it. Like they, that was the whole reason why they bought. So we went into the future state. They re went through what, what success would look like. They talked about projects going from 90 days down to 30 days. Like they had all their data again. And then we walked through, okay, so how are they doing it today? Well, they're doing it through emails and they're sending attachments and, and things. Just are just frustrating. People leave frustrated that nothing's getting progressing. Oh, okay, that's where I want you to get back to now. Is I want you to get back to frustration because that's a healthy thing. You got to know what your gap is between future and current. Okay, Dan, anything on that?
0: Well, is is getting them in a frustrated state? Like in some ways, that sounds bad. Like I I don't want them to get more frustrated. Like like why do why do we why do we poke the bear there?
1: Because what we're poking is the users. They're, they're a group of people that I don't really have an emotional attachment to. And 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 my point of contact that I'm working with, they don't really have an emotional attachment to. They're the problem. The users are the problem. You're not the problem in how you're helping me deploy this software and training people on the software. And me as the SaaS I'm not the problem. The problem is these people that aren't changing their behavior. And so I want them to go revisit that of like, I can't deal with those end users anymore. I can't hear my boss complain that projects are failing and it's my fault for not helping these people be more productive. That's why you want to go back to that frustration component. You don't want them to return back to their normal day in life. Okay. So question three is, what do you believe the blockers have been in having them make that change? I want your insight. I want you to walk me through because then maybe there's something on my end as the SaaS vendor I don't even know about. And out of this, we might figure out some things. We might figure out that you haven't actually followed my best practices and communications out to your users. Like, do your users even know this platform exists? Do they even know that this application is there? How many of your people have actually been trained? I can't just come out and blame you. And I can't ask for how many people have done this and how many people, that's just accusatory what I need you to start to walk yourself through is why isn't this change happening? And you're as much of a partner in this as I am. And so that's the goal of question three is where do you think these blockers are? And from there, now we have something to work on. Now we have something to go after. And that leads to question four is, okay, now you have this list of blockers. Okay. That was great. Help me understand this more. And I'm writing it all down and I'm listing down the four or five blockers because people always give a ton of blockers and I'm like, okay, great if you were to label one of these blockers as number one, which one would it be? And then they're going to tell you, and then you go, why is that one? Why is that one? The number one. And then they're going to tell you, and now you say, okay, let's, let's start with that blocker. Is that fair? Yes. Let's start on that blocker. Now we have just come back together. Now we're friends again, and now we're working on a timeline. And when you think about it, Dan, the best friends you have, I bet, are the ones that have gone through hard times with you, the ones that have been through thick and thin with you. And so it's actually one of the best ways to develop an amazing partnership with your customer is when things aren't going well, it's actually probably one of the best times to keep moving.
0: Yeah, and and I mean, especially because, you know, the larger the implementation the more we have to realistically expect that something will go wrong, right? Like mm-hmm. if you're making major overhauls, right. something is going to go wrong. And I, I think my feeling of it is always, how do you handle things when they go wrong, right? Like that's really what I'm looking for in, in a partner, whether it's it's a life partner, whether it's a, a SaaS partner, uh, is is trying to figure out like, hey, things are inevitably going to go wrong. So what happens then? Like, do you shift blame? Do, or do you just completely ghost me? Or do we try to work through this together? So I can definitely understand how this can be a very valuable. Relationship building exercise,
1: and in 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 uh, the SaaS world, which which again is my expertise, so I, I I subscribe to Prosci. They're one of the leaders in in change management methodology, and they have a data point that's just phenomenal. They say ninety seven percent of digital transfer, transformation failures are on the users not adopting the software. Only three percent three percent are the technology wasn't set up correctly. And so usually there's a misalignment in the communication to the end users of what the customer or what the organization actually wants their employees to do. So uh, another data point for you, we, 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 this is 50,000 end users were surveyed and they're across all different businesses and they were all going through the same transition. They were all moving to Microsoft Teams. So I'll be very specific in this example. So 50,000 different employees across a wide variety of different organizations and we, we pulled those users and got the data back. And they were making a major shift over to Microsoft Teams. They went through the education. They went through the learning. And the, the question we asked was, hey, do you feel you're now ready to use Microsoft Teams? The number one answer was, I'm all set. 60% of users said, "Nope, I feel ready to go. The next most popular answer was, I'm ready to go, but is my organization using this? Is this like what we're supposed to use? The next one was, is my manager going to use this? And then the next one was, were my fellow colleagues going to use this? The last answer was, I don't think Microsoft Teams has the features I need to do my job. But when we're in enemy mode, that's the number one response the direct customer gives back to the SaaS vendor is your software doesn't do what it says it does. If feature sets aren't there, it's too hard. Really, the number one blocker to people changing and using a SaaS application is they just haven't gotten great direction from the direct customer. But as a SaaS vendor, I can't blame them for that. I can't go in as an enemy. I have to walk them through questions and help them see that for themselves. So we're probably struggling because you're probably not doing something right on your end, but I can't go in like that. We got to go in as a partnership. And so that's why those four questions are are so, so money.
0: So I, I, I'm always really interested in what this tactically looks like, and I, I love to go into some questions that might seem like they're kind of mundane, and maybe there's not a best, you know, one best practice, but I, I think it would be interesting. How long does these calls typically make? Like, do you, do you set up an hour? Do you set up two hours? Do you set up 30 minutes? Like, wh- how long do you feel like you need to truly dive deep into something like this?
1: Setting the expectation or resetting that expectation of of where do we want to go today? And these questions can be used at the beginning with a customer success person. So the, I just barely signed the deal. These are great questions to use. So you're on the same page at at the beginning, but when I'm doing uh, an executive briefing after our first year renewal and that executive comes in, I'm asking those questions to that executive because I want to understand what that person is feeling. Right? So at either time, those things are, are very beneficial to use. Now, Going back to your question, this is a level setting vision type question. So it usually only need about 30 minutes to be honest. And I'll give you one best practice as a bonus tip. When you have four people on a call, so you're the CS person by yourself or the account executive on the call by yourself, and there's four uh, other people on the, on the other end that's on the direct customer end because no one wants to buy by themselves. They all buy in committees today because no one wants to be blamed that, hey, I bought that software that didn't work. Like they spread the risk around, right? So when I have five people on the call, this is how I do it. I said, hey, It's great to have everyone here. I'm going to quickly introduce myself. And then as you introduce yourself, if you wouldn't mind giving me your name, your role, and then if you had a magic wand and could guarantee 100% success, what would be the behavior change you would want your users to make with our application? So if you wouldn't mind when you introduce yourself, your name, your role, magic wand, 100% success, what would you want them to be doing differently? What behavior change do you want? If we could do that at the start of this introduction, that'd be fantastic. Now, guess what? Boom. I'm into a call. And guess what? This person builds off this person. And then they start talking about the future and it is beautiful. And then when you ask the, so how are they working today then? Oh man. Then they just start piling on each other. Right. And it's a beautiful thing, but you're actually getting transparency. And that's, what's key is together. We have to be transparent with each other. So it usually takes 30 minutes off of that. You identify which are the top one or two things you want to start working on. And then that one's a 45 minute session. That one's an hour session because you're now getting into weeds. Now you're getting into who owns what, what do you need? When will you send that out? How will we measure it? Okay. In two weeks, let's follow up on, did you do your part? I did my part. Let's look at the data to see if we were successful or not. So those calls get a little bit longer, but a vision call with those four questions, 30
0: minutes. And the other thing I was going to ask, and you, you kind of broached it a little bit here when we talk about multiple people. You mentioned often when you ask who needs to be on this call, most people just say it to them. Do you have any thoughts on if you want it to just be that one person, if you want more people on the call? like I'm, I'm sure you just kind of take whatever you can get, but if you're the, on the vendor side, do you generally prefer to have more people or do you think it's better to just have one person?
1: I would always want the executive sponsor for who purchased the software. So there's usually, even though they make it by committee, there's one person that usually owns it and they're the ones that really push for it, you know? So I usually want them on the call, but normally your champion or your person you're working with won't bring that person back in. If they feel that they're going to make them, they're, they're going to look bad. So they're not going to do it. So when I ask these questions, I, you, you reminded me of another bonus tip. So when I go through the future state and I go through that, I said, well, if your executive was on this call, would their answer be the same as yours? And then that gets them to shift and rethink about what their boss would say. And then they would actually say, Well, no, she would actually say this. This would actually be top of mind for her. Oh, that's interesting. So, how how would she measure that? And now I'm diving in a little bit more and I'm saying, hey, in our next call, would it be okay to bring her into that call and, and just review this? So as we build out our plan to solve this challenge, that we're making sure we have her backing. Now it makes sense to your point of contact. But again, there's still sometimes a gatekeeper. When you start getting into enemy territory, they start gatekeeping the higher ups. If you're in transparency, transparency and a good relationship, they're more than willing to bring their their executive on the call or that that executive sponsor because they know it's going to be a good call.
0: And is is the power of that question to make sure that you're really ensuring that everybody is on the same page that that your stakeholder doesn't have one vision but maybe the company has a different vision, is it is it to kind of get your stakeholder to necessarily like change their vision, but at least make sure that everything is aligned. Like are, are you trying to find the underlying alignment issues here?
1: I'm trying to find that. And I'm trying to find can your executive also put your initiative to a higher goal that they've they've talked about, right? So for example, a hot topic two years ago was everybody was, you know, one team, progressive insurance. Uh, Progressive One or or ExxonMobil One. Like everybody put a one behind everything. Like we're going to come together. We're going to be kumbaya and all this wonderful thing, right? So if I was, for example, that that whiteboarding SaaS vendor and I'm talking to the executive, I'm saying, hey, I know your goal this year is to really come together as an employee base. Have you thought about this initiative being tied to that Progressive Insurance One mantra that you have going this year? I never thought about that oh, this would be a great way to measure that. So I'm also trying to see if I can tie that into some bigger initiatives to get better sponsorship in what I'm trying to accomplish.
0: I love that. So these questions are so great to course correct, but how do you set things up for success right from the get-go? And and maybe you can talk about this both from the the buyer and the seller side. Like What what do you think really should happen in those early days to not get to the point where we need to have these conversations with these, these four questions?
1: Yeah, either end, whether I'm the customer or I'm the SaaS vendor, the number one thing we need to agree on is what does success look like? What does that future state look like? Number two is, how will we measure it? How will we know that we're successful? So the SaaS vendor, there's a fallacy out there in SaaS, and I'll shout it from the rooftops, is this thing called monthly active usage. How many of the people are logging in every month to do something? That is such a fallacy because I could go in there and be doing the same job I've always done. I'm just doing a different application. The benefit comes from me actually changing my behavior and working in that new way. So just measuring to people log in. Yeah, that's, that's the first thing you have to do. But number two, am I realizing the value of logging in? Am I doing something differently? And that's where you can't actually measure it all on your application. You need the customer, to actually grab that information and be able to share that with you. The actual, the actual last part, which is the most important, is does the customer realize that what they thought was gonna happen, how it's being measured, did that value actually happen? That is key. Does the customer say, wow, you did exactly what you said you are going to do. I saved 30 minutes, every employee saved 30 minutes in a work week, or we saved $2 million, or, I'm recognizing that value as the customer and I'm saying it happened. Now, another bonus tip. When you hear that at customer success or the account executive, the next question you should be asking is, so what did you do with that $2 million you saved? What did you do with that 30 minutes that you came back? What did you do with reducing down 20,000 service desk calls? What, What did you do with that? Oh, that's a good question. Well, we actually went and did this initiative. Oh, so you actually got double the value. Did we put that in our QBR for next time we meet with executive? We should put that in there. What did you do with that? Value realization is not just what the software did, but what did it also allow me to go do? That's, That's a key. So another bonus tip on that.
0: I love that point because that's something I'm always trying to tease out if I'm doing a customer story interview. Okay, you save money, you save time. So what? What did that enable you to do? But I've never thought about taking that outside of a customer story interview. These bonus tips from Casey, they're they're pretty gold. So when we spoke about this prior, you you mentioned the, the couple of really key important things: the, the power of intent and the power of transparency. What do you mean by that?
1: There is, I was just on a call today and working with a SaaS vendor and their direct customers, and we're having this conversation, and the SaaS vendor says, I want to make something happen because I appreciate the transparency we've had throughout this. And I was like, that's what you want. And transparency to me is I'm going to tell you that, and I I apologize for going back to this, that, that I eat ice cream in bed. And some people might say, that's the disgusting habit. You should never eat in your bed, right? But I'm okay with sharing the good, bad, and ugly with you because I know you want the best for me and i want the best for you i bought your software for a reason and i sold you my software for a reason we believe in each other and transparency is when you're willing to share the good and the bad and the ugly and so that's why transparency is so important is you just you can just move faster stephen covey has a great book speed of trust like that is what happens is when you have trust everything moves fast and you can see that so if things aren't moving as fast as you want. You might want to look back and see, do you have the, the trust, transparency, and intent that you're actually looking for? Because that's usually an indicator that you don't, is if things start to slow down.
0: It's a very obvious follow-up question to that is, what's your favorite ice cream flavor?
1: <laughs> Anything with peanut butter in it. Anything with Chocolate peanut butter. It. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Very, very so great
0: question. Reese's Pieces kind of. Is oh, there yeah. Reese's Pieces in the state? That's, that's not a Canadian thing. Yeah, right?
1: yeah. But our chocolate's not as good as your chocolate. Let's just be honest. Our Here donuts aren't as good as your donuts. Like Tim Horton donuts are just way better.
0: We got a lot of good things going on. <laughs> is there anything we haven't covered around this topic that you feel like would be good for the listeners to know?
1: Your, your customer bought for a reason. They want to be successful. You want to be successful. Just figure out what they want by asking simple questions. Seek to understand and then say, okay, if this is what we want, why are we not getting there? And together you'll figure it out. But just just be transparent, just be open, just have intent.
0: Continuing down this relationship analogy, I think it's the more we look at things as us versus the problem versus yeah. you, know, you versus me. Yes. That's how you develop a good relationship, right? Like when things aren't going right, it's like, okay, we both got into this. We both are on the same page here. We both want to be successful. Let's not try to place blame here. Like how do we both work towards this? I think that's going to lead to better relationships in our personal life and, and hopefully in our, our SaaS life.
1: I, I couldn't agree, agree more. And and Dan, you know, if, if I was to leave your audience with something and say, what's one thing you can put in practice? It's the magic wand question. And whether it's with your, your child, whether it's with a customer, whether it's with your partner, just saying, if you had a magic wand, it could guarantee a hundred percent success. What would that look like? And just sit back and listen and then say, why that? How would you know if you made it there? Just ask some questions. You'll, you'll be amazed about what people will share with you. And that's where you start to find and build that relationship. So my best practice where I would start today is just, you know, if you had a magic wand, could guarantee that 100%, 100% success. What would that look like? That would be my, my action. Go, go do that with some of your customers. Go do that with friends during, uh, uh, you know, the weekend. Just, just ask and you'll be surprised about how you deepen that relationship and really start to gain that, that trust and transparency.
0: I love that you're you're answering the question before I even asked it. You're, you're making me obsolete here. This this could have just been you talking. But is this AI? Are you real, Dan? I, I I question it sometimes uh, whether or not I am. But but Casey, this this was terrific. I, I love how actionable this was with with the four steps, but also the the tips throughout. Uh, I, I think you know you're right. The the more we think about each other as being on the same page and our our customers aren't the enemy our vendors aren't the enemy how do we try to get together and and, you know work out a better solution i think everybody's just going to be happier we're going to be more successful with the things we bought we're not going to regret them as much Uh, so this is terrific thanks so much for being on the show
1: dad thank you well said that was a great ending.
0: what a guest i didn't even need to ask him my final wrap-up question of what advice he would give he just he just gave it When things go wrong, it's inevitable that we start to look for the enemy. But what if, instead, we started to look for our partners? What if when our SaaS purchases don't go well, we try to work with our vendor to improve them? What if when a customer is complaining that they're unsuccessful, we try to use Casey's four-question framework to get things back on the same page? This approach seems like it can work both on our professional and personal lives. This has been the All About the Customer podcast brought to you by Influtive. I've been your host, Dan Kalmar. Until next time, don't eat ice cream in bed. That's that's just going to get messy.